The world still needs superheroes. So let's get out there. Let's take these cocksuckers down. We are famous now. We're the most wanted lads in the country. So what's your big plan? You'll love it. I won't love it. I never love it. Never fucking love it. Noted. Hey everybody, welcome to You Have to Watch This Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And Devin's a bit under the weather today, but since he couldn't join us, we're happy to welcome a friend of the show from over at Victims and Villains, Josh. Hello, I am above the weather. Okay, yeah, uh, I'll take that. That works. Uh, Much like (laughs) Homelander? This is actually a part two to an episode we did over on Victims and Villains, which you can find the link to in the description of this episode. But today we're going to be talking about season two of the Amazon show, The Boys. Um, Over on Victims, we talked about season one. So we're going to pick up that conversation where we left off and start talking about season two. And if you haven't seen season two yet, we'll do a little bit of non-spoilers before we get back into the main conversation. So... Overall, guys, what did you think of season two of The Boys? Josh? Oh, okay. Guess um, guess, guess first. <laughs> I think this is a stronger season than the first season. And I think that mostly because of the intertwining of, of new characters, the uh, kind of a little bit more grounded approach to the consumerism we talked about in the the first uh, the first part of this crossover i really really liked the i'm probably gonna butcher his name the Gennari, giano Narci john carlo esposito that guy uh i really loved his character throughout here and i i feel like with the absence of Stillwell in this season you really needed a, a strong character and he's been something else for the Mandalorian this season and just kind of getting to see him step into a similar role in a more grounded approach for this one. I, I think really added a lot of uh, gravity and um, just kind of getting to see characters fleshed out a little bit more uh, was really nice, whether that was Maeve or uh, Frenchie ended up being one of my favorite characters this season. So this is a really solid season. And I think that this is more than ever is a really timely season of television as well. Ryan, how about you? What did you think? Um, I liked the tail end of this season better than I liked the start of it. Um, I definitely, I agree with everything that, uh, uh, Josh, Josh, no, I'm sorry. I had a mental block. Um, (laughs) uh, I agree with 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 almost everything that Josh just said. Um, it was just there were certain things about the first half of the season that was kind of making me like, okay, come on, let's get to the let's get to the next episode, let's get to the next episode. Um, but I, I still really enjoyed it. So, it, yeah. Uh, to be honest, I had a hard time watching this sh- season, and I think it it has to do with how hard how close it hit to things that were going on in the real world. And I guess it speaks more to my just mental state this year. Cause this 2020 has just been a, a shit show. And <laughs> I think everything that happened 
in the news this year in the last few years seeing it on this show presented the way it is it, it was just hard for me to watch because I, I i go to television for escape and escapism and there it is again i'm like i i don't want like i i get what you're doing and it makes sense for the story and it's interesting but it's not what i'm looking for right now um but i was able to get through that and still enjoy the season for what it is um I really, I have mixed thoughts on Giancarlo Esposito. I really liked the, I really liked um, Stormfront because she was a very interesting villain and the way she played with everyone around her. Um, and I liked what, I liked what Carl Urban brought to Billy Butcher this season. So, yeah. So one of the things that I, so this, season came out differently than the first season whereas the first season amazon dropped it all one day and you could binge it or pick it up and watch it whenever this one they dropped the first three episodes and then subsequently for the next five episodes they would do it weekly on friday and i ended up actually binging this uh just a few days just a couple of days ago and watching it all in one sitting and uh, so one of the, one of my friends, like who really loves this show, actually said that he couldn't make it through the second season because of how dark and some of its more, uh, excuse me, predominant themes were, um, especially how they reflect so much of our current society and current uh, political climate to a, a certain extent, too. And that, to me, I feel like is it really enhanced the experience of this season for me. Um, because doing a show like Victims and Villains where we're constantly talking about mental health awareness and suicide prevention, we're really looking for, uh, you know, looking at media a little bit differently than a casual viewer. It has really made me respect a lot more of media like this. And the boys, I think, had a lot to say in the first season with consumerism and our consumption of superheroes and drug abuse and so much more uh, grief. And, and here I think that they had so much more to say opposite um, and, and really kind of brought in. So I feel like this is honestly one of my favorite uh, television series that have been released this year. Yes, that's right. I'm putting it above Tiger King. I mean, Tiger King is a whole nother beast. That I, <laughs> looking back, I still can't believe Tiger King was this year. <laughs> Simpler time. Tiger King, yeah. Tiger King is the killer tomatoes of uh, TV shows. Like you've got killer tomatoes as like a horror, low budget like horror movie, and it's on a different tier than everything else just because it's so bad. <laughs> But it's a it's a measuring stick, pretty much. And I feel like that and I feel like that's what Tiger King was for 2020. It was a measuring stick for just how ridiculous things were were getting at that point. Whereas the boys is kind of like the season two of the boys was kind of like a mirror like, hey, look at the world you're living in. I, I mm -hmm. and I just didn't want to acknowledge that that's what we look like right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does a really good job. And it does. 
One of the things, too, that uh, I don't know if you want to head into spoiler territories quite yet, but Anya Cash, like, is the star of this series for me. As much as I love Anthony Starr throughout the course of this, Anya Cash, who's a new addition, she plays Stormfront in this series. Just getting to see her in such this role was just something unexpected. She was in my, one of my wife's favorite TV shows a couple years ago called You're the Worst. Um, she was in one of my favorite comedies this year called Scare Me and just kind of getting to see how dark and gritty and just uh, just how well she was able to bring this character to life was just a testament to the writing and her uh, ability to disappear within this role. Yeah, she was phenomenal in this. Um, and they really gave her character... One thing about the show is it does a really good job of world building. And mm-hmm. her character definitely fits the world that they built. And they do a good job of slowly giving you her backstory. Because if they gave it all to you at once, I feel like it would have been a lot. But the way they slowly got you to know this character and where she came from was really interesting. And her, her backstory is fascinating to me. I, I would watch more of that. Um, it's, it's just the Nazi thing. It's like, <laughs> but it, it works. It fits for the story that they're telling. Yeah. And it went without getting too far into it. Um, with dealing with my own experience with like discovering media personalities and watching people kind of like grow in the limelight, uh, they, they did that to a T like they Mm -hmm. were perfect on the way they introduced her to how, to how the character grew to the little nuggets they left that when you watch it again, you, you, you see, you see it plain as day when you completely missed it the first time. Um, they did an excellent job with her. And unfortunately there's a lot of reference points to that. So, (laughs) yeah. So I think we're going to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen season two of the boys, go ahead and, uh, come back later when you have, when you have, if you don't care about spoilers, stick around. So we left off season one, talking about the reveal that butcher's wife is alive and raising Homelander's son. And that's a storyline that plays out throughout this whole second season. How did you guys feel about what they did with, I think the kid's name's Ryan. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Ryan, how did that make you feel? I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all, to be honest. Um, because there were times when uh, like, this is one of those shows where when I was watching season one, um, I got like halfway through the the show or like the depth of the first episode. And typically the stuff that I watch for like our podcast um, is, you know, Typically, Kristen's not really that interested in it. Um, but I told her, I was like, I think you're going to like this. Like, this is really different. And she ended up watching it all with me, um, even into the second season. And it was just one of those things where, like, 
I get up to like, it would be a slow point and you know, I, I, in our apartment, the living room, dining room, kitchens all open to each other. So like I can walk to like the fridge and I can still hear and see what's going on on the TV. And I would like, it, it has happened once where like some, some non, some non, a non main character said Ryan on the TV and I turned around and said, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, <laughs> Josh, how did you feel about the Ryan storyline? God, all right. I'm so glad that you asked me this because I have so many freaking emotions about this. First off, they recast him from the first season, which, again, not a super big deal, but they completely changed his character dynamic in the second season than we saw in the first season because right before we go to black and he's like, Oh, this is my son. I'm your father. His eyes get red Mm -hmm. if ever so briefly. And then in this season, like he doesn't want anything to do with superpowers or, you know, following his homeland or following his dad. Uh, like the dynamic of him being a father, I honestly kind of like, you guys were talking about the first half of the season. It kind of almost seems like it took Homelander away from the main storyline. And that I really didn't care for. And I just, I don't know. Like he was such a pivotal point in the show's finale that it kind of like almost wouldn't have been the same if you disincluded him. But I mean, they try to make you feel sympathy for Homelander through him and it doesn't really happen. Um, but it does, it is nice to see other sides to the Homelander character being a dad. Yeah. The the storyline with Ryan and Homelander kind of is split in two because you have Homelander trying to be a father by visiting him so often. And then in the second half of the season, it becomes this dynamic with Homelander and Stormfront coming to visit Ryan and trying to manipulate him into coming with them to Va and leaving his mother behind. And by that point, you have butchers say that he doesn't care about the boy, that he's just as bad as Homelander and he just wants his wife back. And so like, it's a slow burn to get to the point where you have Stormfront and Homelander take Ryan to the planet Vought or is that what it is? Planet Vought? Yeah. It's a, it's a spin on planet Hollywood. Yeah. Um, so like you have her manipulating him into thinking that like kind of adopt, trying to adopt this kid who's not up for adoption, which is a very dark and sinister twist that you don't see play out often. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it would be kidnapping. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what they were trying to do. I mean, besides my issue with the fact that I share a name with the character, uh, uh, the um, the the main issue that I had with that whole thing really wasn't with the kid uh, per se. It was just uh, like the first season did a good job of, I felt like, um, and it could just be a bias that I have. I don't know. Uh, I felt like they did a good job balancing between everybody and they used Vought and Homelander as kind of like the focal point to like drive everything, 
you know, uh, um, to kind of like drag things along. And in this season, it was like, okay, we're going to take, you know, we're going to take everybody get off the bus. Everybody get off the Homelander bus. He's no longer driving. Uh, now we're going to split you up. And for, you know, three blocks, you're going to drive with the deep. And then for seven blocks, you're going to drive with, um, you know, the boys. And then you're going to drive, you know, five miles with with Homelander. And then you're going to drive, you know, they just it didn't feel as balanced cutting back and forth between the different character stories at the first half of the season. Um, and cause not only do you take away Homelander from the main story, you also take away butcher. Yeah. Can, Cause he's away from it for a while too. Um, well he, he's uh, doesn't even come in until the very end of the very first episode. So you kind of have the what the boys look like without Butcher and that's like trying to have the Spice Girls without, you know, posh. Uh, posh. <laughs> so the, mm. the Spice Girls now. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just bad that I know that <laughs> it's fine. Um, it was just it's it's one of those things where. It was good for Homelander's character, I feel, to kind of round him out it was just a lot of my issues have to do with the mom and we can get into that later because that's more like the middle of the season um but i mean i i mean i did enjoy the homelander father stuff i just thought it was kind of funny um but it just i don't know i felt like there was a there was a lot more slow burn in the first half of season two than than there than there was at any point in season one and i think it was just me trying to get used to that. And that's why I had some of my issues with the first half of the season. Were there any moments in season two that stood out to you guys, like as your favorite moments in this season? For me, I would say like Stormfront has definitely been my strongest character. I love the fact that like the lifeblood of what made her a household name to people was social media and more importantly than that memes i love this scene where homelander is like just scrolling through all the memes i thought it's one of the the (laughs) the funniest most ironic scenes throughout the course of this entire um thing but i think for me one of my favorite episodes was episode six i believe where it really fleshes out uh frenchie's connection to the boys and kind of how he came into the company of mother's milk and uh, butcher and also the uh, Mallory, the CIA agent and kind of how his uh, connection to lamplighter was. Um, I really liked lamplighter as a character though. I probably could have done without his obsession with porn. That was a little bit weird for me. Um, I definitely, one of my favorite characters throughout both seasons was Frenchie. Like he is my, my wife and I love Frenchie. Um, his, his character is complex. You, uh, and for the, like I said, there's no morally just character in this show, but he's the one that like, I like anti-heroes, especially when like 
you get to a point where like, well, they're kind well, they're a good person, but there's this major issue. And I feel like he's, I feel like Frenchie suffers the most from it internally. And, uh, and I feel like it, if he doesn't suffer the most from it internally, he's the one that shows it the most. Uh, I feel. And, but uh, when it comes to favorite part of the season, I, there were so many. Because um, even at the start, the middle and the end, there were moments where I was just like, oh, my God, this is great. But the, the, the one scene that's really standing out in my mind right now is when they're, I, I guess it's Stormfront's introduction, where they're filming the commercial for the military and Stormfront walks up live on like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or something. And she's mouthing off and, you know, they're trying, you know, Storm, uh, 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 Homelander and Maeve have to like save face real quick on it. Like I just, I loved that because that's just, that's the equivalent of somebody in like the 50s or 60s constantly walking around with like reporters by them purposely. Yeah. Uh, another thing too that is like super early in the season is the deep kind of doesn't really have a, a, a point to exist in the season, but he's got some interesting moments. And one of them is he gets locked in a room. I think it's in the second episode and he's having a conversation with his gills who is voiced by Patton Oswald. <laughs> I absolutely adore that scene. Um, and then like, he's like, goes through this like whole, like, you know, freedom of like being comfortable with his body and Homelander shuts it down with one, with one, uh, throwaway line, but it's just that one scene in particular, I think was just so funny. I forgot about that. Uh, I knew Patton Oswald was in it. It's like, cause I, I saw you post about it on social media. I was like, wait, who was Patton Oswald in this season? And it, and it just clicked for me. Um, for me, the scene that sticks out the most is the press conference in protest with Homelander, where he just goes berserk and just slaughters everyone. And then it's it's a dream sequence, but still just him unleashing and killing everyone around him uh, was amazing to me because um, it shows you the true thoughts of this character who is so twisted and deceiving to the public and what he really wants. Like it shows you his true intentions and what, what he really wants. I, I just really enjoyed that because it gives you more insight into that character's state of mind. What I love about that scene is it's a, it shows the frustration um, that he has because he's trying to walk that line. Like we saw him do in the first season where, you know, something doesn't go right, but he's able to like say, you know, he's able to say the right things. Um, and then again, social media comes into play and you've got the guy like, I guess throws a, dust ball at him and he goes it, it turned into a meme where he puts his hands up like "Ooh, i'm scared and then he kills him and he kills the kid behind him and then everybody gets in an uproar about it um it it you could really see the frustration on him of where like uh what i normally do isn't working and i don't know there there's still a part of me and i know that it would completely change the dynamic of the rest of the season but i was kind of hoping that 
it wasn't a dream. Save. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, um, it definitely changes the stakes, and that that would be something that you would do in a finale. I would think. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like. I was like, it had to be a dream because if you do that, have him go that far this early on, because there's still two or three episodes after that. There, there's not much else. You not anywhere else you can really go with that because you have everything else that needs resolved yet. So I wasn't surprised that it was a dream, but yeah, part of me was like, Oh, I wish like just get him to that point now. And I think that's my, my jaw dropped. Like when that scene happened and then like the camera zoomed out and it like revealed, like he had just like stopped talking. I was, I was kind of irritated because I was really hoping for that to be like, all right, here's our red sun moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy the episode where they go to the, like, the, I guess, insane asylum for. Oh, Sage, Sage Grove, Sage Grove. Yeah. They go to this hospital that's full of soups who Va is experimenting on. And that's where you kind of where you meet Lamplighter played by Sean Ashmore. And it can't be a superhero thing if Sean Ashmore or his brother are, aren't in it. Cause he was on, he was an X-Men. He was Iceman and he was on Smallville for a few episodes. Wasn't he an Animorphs too? Or am I misremembering uh, that? Let me look. I have his IMDb up. He was on the famous jet Jackson Animorphs. Yep. He was in Thought so. a bunch of episodes of that. So was there any, yeah. So what did you guys think of that episode? Cause you get to, you get to see a lot of different superpowers in that episode than what we've seen so far on the show. Well, ha- sorry, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, that's what happens when you can't market a superhero power. You get locked in a box. Yeah. And also too, that particular sequence in the time that we spend at Sage Grove also creates a through line for season three because we have the one uh that like basically let all of the inmates loose for one two she basically has this power to where like she can see you and just like clench her fist and you just die you're imploded and uh like we never see where she goes like the camera shows her hitchhiking and then that's it <laughs> you you just hit a nerve of mine. Yeah. <laughs> One of my biggest complaints about this season is her. Because they show people because they show they 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 start off the season with a head exploding. For no, for no apparent reason, a head just goes poof. And with the F, the FBI director, CIA director, yeah, was uh yeah. And so you're like, okay, so who you know who who did that and and then they go to the and they go to the uh to this uh hospital slash lab and they show you this character that has a that that has an ability to do just what you saw except she was doing it to the whole body and not just a body part um and then they just don't reference her ever again and this is like the only time that that and a lot of our episodes 
Alan or Devin brings up the whole with Chekhov's gun thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is like the first time that I'm going to be bringing this up and say, yeah, no, they showed the gun on the counter and they showed it go off once, but then they just never referenced it ever again. And I figure it's going to be a season three thing. I hope it's a season three thing. It was just very irritating having all this build up for that one thing and then showing her and then it just nobody's speaking of it the rest of the show. Well, I think I think it is set up for season three because it bookends the season like you have it and you have the FBI director in the first episode explode and then you have the ending of the season where it leads into where these characters are going to be in season three. So I think it is set up for that. Um, also, theory right here is that so I was texting a friend of mine yesterday when I was watching and I was like, because there, there is a courtroom scene in episode seven where just everything just is like, it's just like a minefield. Like heads are just exploding like randomly. And it's like, pshaw, 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 pshaw. and you're not really too sure is like what the connection is. And then at the end, we see the church of the collective director. He basically is getting ready to pop open his fresca. Which uh, product placement? Weird product placement. Hey, good for them. They got that Fresca money because they're rolling in it. Fresca and Almond Joy. This is like two of the weirdest things that Coca Cola and Hershey. Yeah. Um, But no, so like then the camera pans outside and we see Victoria Newman, who's a congresswoman, library. Um, you know, basically like campaigning the entire season to have Vought response, like to take responsibility for compound V and like to bring in legislation and the FDA and everything like this. And I'm almost curious if her character and like the escapee, if they're somehow like sisters or like mother and daughter or like even cousins because that's, like they have very similar power set. That's the assumption I'm making that they're connected somehow. And I think that's going to be explored in season three. So um, that's where I, I, the whole head exploding thing didn't really bother me as much as it bothered Ryan. Cause we've talked about this before. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it is just all set up for season three. Uh, because they, I think they knew they were getting a season three before this was going to air. Yeah. Um, cause they knew they were getting a season two before the pilot even premiered. Like they announced the casting for Stormfront at New York Comic Con before the show even premiered mm-hmm. in 2019. So I think they, they have a plan for the show and that was their way of being subtle to set that up. I'm almost curious though, if like, you you kind of ha- you're kind of setting up the cons- or congresswoman Newman character to have this like revenge against Vought for taking her sister or cousins, and that's kind of the linchpin of like what is going to make her the big bad. And, and in that case, is she the big bad or is she just one of the boys? That's a good question too. I really hope that that they would make her the villain because like we've seen kind of like superheroes as the the main villains for these first two seasons. So it'd be interesting to kind of see that on a more congressional level 
uh, of what a villain could do. I feel like what I feel like they're where, where I, it's not that I hope they do this. It's not that I like, I'm not doing any like fan theory stuff on what she is or what the idea is. Because as Alan said, like, I don't have issues with the head exploding. I don't like the graphics of it is whatever. It was a very cool effect. It's just that whole thing with her being the one and every, it just, it, it, it irritates me. But anyway, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, because they've already done the corporate side of things and it wouldn't be surprised for uh uh it wouldn't be surprising to me if they do the like federal governmental bureaucrat side of things because i mean as far as i'm concerned if anybody is as critical and can be as cynical as the writers are for the boys when it comes to corporations then i would assume that they would do the same thing with government because, I mean, it, it's my personal belief that the, the issues that people have with corporations, the, peop, the issues that people have with government, it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, with all of the different rulings and legislation, uh, with all of the different laws that have been passed, all of the different tax codes that have been passed, all of the different Supreme Court d- d- decisions that, that have had to, uh, that have been ruled on. Uh, when it comes to business law and like what companies can do, they're in, it's all mishmash together. So I wouldn't be surprised if they turn her into, you know, like not the embodiment of Vought because it's going to be a different beast. But if that's the direction they're going, I could definitely see it working. It's just I really wish there was more that they had to do with her than what they did in season two for her to be the one like i what i was hoping at the end of the the episode where they went to the hospital was that stormfront or lamplighter or somebody at that hospital was using her to target people like i would not be surprised if they you know they would have a room where they had you know cameras set up or TV set up where she could like see somebody and regardless of where they were on the planet, as long as she could see them, even on a TV screen, she could make them explode. And so I thought that like, because everybody there was being like mistreated, studied, you know, with how they treated her, obviously they knew she was dangerous, but I was thinking more of the, like, I thought they were using her as like a smart missile. And that's what I was hoping that it was going to be like either Vought or a third party was doing it. And it turns out that it's this character that was in a few scenes that they've like, they they did a lot of buildup with Butcher and his wife and then revealed that his wife was alive. And that worked because Butcher doing what he was doing had, you know, was driven by the loss of his wife. And so that was a huge part of his character, meaning that it was a huge part of the storyline. The government trying to get Vought to, like, come clean, like, that was maybe 15, 10 percent of season two. And then at the end, they make that 15, 10 percent like the person who's doing everything. That's my issue. I mean, the government's goals and the goals of the boys are pretty much the same, like trying to out Vought. So I don't really see the government's goals as being any different from the boys. 
So it, it's interesting to me because I think you're right. Like it, Ryan, you're talking about like it is like 15 to 20 percent of the actual season that this fight's going on. And then miraculously somewhere it just like completely changes. I don't know if they're like trying to appeal to like different people anymore or if it's just like they've accepted it. But it's it's weird the way that they kind of handle a little bit more of like the political side to the story in this. Uh, but to the point of councilman woman uh, Newman throughout the course of this, you look at the way that characters like black noir or Maeve is a great example and how they're treated in the first season and how much more that arc for them really was more predominant in this season. I'm almost kind of curious if that's the way that they're doing the Newman character to where she is very much a minor character in this uh, season to where she has enough of a pull and enough of a say to have an effect, but not very much to where she's going to be set up for a larger role in the third season. It's uh, part of my issue too is that I just I'm trying to wrap my head around okay what do you do with a politician that can make people's heads explode I know this joke exclude no. exclude exclude all of the like our timeline conspiracy theories like to me it's like okay Fine. where does this go and how long can this go on before people start connecting the dots and it's just I don't know I feel I would feel better if they I don't know I think this is where I start having problems with the superhero genre so this second season with her power in particular it's kind of almost like a mental death note uh, to where she can see them and boom, just like pop their heads like cherries. Yeah. And it it's and the power is fine. It's just I, I don't know my own concept of characters and character stereotypes and where, you know, and like what they do and what their boundaries are. It's like, okay, Fine. What, what would happen if, like, you know, uh, I don't. What if Jack Kennedy could do this? Who's saying he couldn't? <laughs> it just to me, what, what the the possibilities with government bureaucracy, whatever, red tape. The the amount of story potential in this world that they built when it comes to what the government can do with Vought is so vast that I feel making a government – having a governmental person being a secret soup, like kind of – I don't know. Like it takes all the different possibilities that could be there and it funnels it all down to like 10% of the possibilities that they could do. And that's how I feel about it. Now I could be wrong. 
I hope I'm wrong. I hope they do something where it's like she's not the only one because I think that'd be cool if there are other politicians and other people behind the curtains working for the CIA and the federal government and even at state level that have powers like this. And then they show that that's why everything's so screwed up. I think that would be a cool way to go. But I really doubt it simply because of everybody else that's involved with the show and all the different characters. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um have you guys heard any of the news about season three yet? No. I, there's one bit of news that they released, if you guys mm-hmm. want to know. Sure. Um, yeah. they're, they've already cast the very first superhero, uh, Soldier Boy, who will be played by Jensen Eccles from Supernatural. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So I'm, I'm get- sorry. All I, can, all I can think about is that song from 2006. <laughs> Soldier Boy, tell him. <laughs> now, now you have to Super do the band. dance. You have to do the the dance for us, Ryan. No, I do not know it well <laughs> enough, and I don't know the song well enough. It's just playing in my head. That's like okay. that's that that's. Uh, whenever somebody says Soldier Boy, all I can think of is the summer of two thousand six. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What else do we want to talk about with season two? Do we want to talk about Stormfront a little bit? Get into detail with her character. I really do. Uh, Go you for know, it. Not to be not to be selfish, um, but <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I I think too uh, one of the most impactful sequences in this entire series is the opening to the seventh episode, where we have this morning routine with this almost kind of computer guy, but he has like this very strong fascination and obsession with her, and he allows her. Uh, views to influence his own and he actually ends up killing a convenience store owner in uh, cold blood and I love how that speaks volumes to a lot of how we allow media to affect us but more specifically how we've kind of gotten into uh, this weird like division among people now in our country where we're allowing uh politics to affect us to a more greater uh degree than i think we've we've seen before and also with stormfront you know she's kind of the the red herring that is given to us that she's the very first superhero she was frederick frederick Fought's wife, um, who received the very first Compound V. Um, she was Liberty way back when, um, and uh, that you know, Vought behind the scenes is really a racist white supremacy neo Nazi company, which I thought was just such an interesting twist to bring to that character. Like, we already hate Vought, and that's just kind of given us gave us a deeper reason to hate them um and i just kind of thought the way that you know six seven and eight the episodes uh just really trickled out and just how they brought forth a lot of those character clues was just really well done uh, sorry i'll no, go no that opening <laughs> sequence with the uh the clerk was draw jaw dropping to me like i and that was the best yeah. sequence in this whole series and it was weird for me to watch that because I recognized the actor from Community, 
because he played Neil or, or, or fat Neil, as they called him on the show. And I was like, you know, I could actually see Neil doing that too. So it, it, it all worked out, but yeah, I, that, that whole sequence was amazing to me. Ryan, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but I was, yeah, th- 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 that sequence was great. And this is where to me, like, this is, this is where I love the, the corporate satire and what they're doing because they take Vought worldwide, uh, this huge company that was basically founded on like an ex-Nazi scientist and like all of the technology and everything that's there. And it can't, I mean, and it, if you look up, I mean, they make it a point that if you look up Vought's past, anybody can find out what his origins were. Like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a secret per se. Like if you look for it, you'll find it, you know, that he was an ex-Nazi, but there's, I mean, there's uh, uh, there's real connections to that. I mean, there are world, there are global companies that are that were founded in Germany during the 30s because the because the Nazi Party funded companies that they felt were beneficial to the state, and one of those companies in particular is Volkswagen. Volkswagen hmm. would not exist if it wasn't for the Nazi Party in Germany funding them at the start. And there are other companies that are along the same lines. And occasionally in the news, you'll get a rights group or, you know, whatever that will, you know, protest pro uh, uh, that'll protest. I mean, there was either there was a soccer stadium in Europe somewhere that that uh, that that was it that uh, that Volkswagen was going to sponsor. But uh, but a human rights group protested it because of their connection to the Nazi party in Germany. So, I mean, I love how they bring up these things in, in the boys that have real life examples of this stuff actually happening. Um, and to go to, you know, that sequence at the beginning was great because that's on a lot of people's minds right now, because one of the problems with one of the great things that social media did when it first came out with MySpace and when when Facebook was only for college students when it first came out, the algorithms that they had back then that were very basic and very simple made it just that you saw more of what you liked. If you like stuff that has of a certain content, you get that more in your newsfeed than you get stuff that you don't. I mean, I I have over a hundred different pages and groups that I'm in on Facebook, and I probably only see 10% of that because I'm only really active in 10% of those groups that I'm actually a part of. So I never see that other stuff. I only see the stuff that, you know, that stuff that I routinely like. And we've created echo chambers unintentionally, I feel, at the start. And then there's other platforms where they do it intentionally. And my thing is that from remembering conversations that I've overheard from my parents having with friends, with family members themselves talking at different events, from thinking about that and then hearing other, you know, on other medium of like watching movies from like the 40s. Uh, and uh, and 50s, our political divides have always been there. It's just social media has, give, has given us the chance to actually find out what the person down the street believes. 40, 50 years ago, you might have somebody who, you know, was, you know, the most pro-American, pro-capitalist person you can think of, and they would have no idea that three blocks down that the person that they talk to every day on their way to work because they walk to the factory together believes 
you know, was basically a borderline communist. Like these these political divides have always been there. It's just social media has come as like brought it out. And I feel like that's a good thing. I just I feel like people abandoning platforms to collect with each other is where the problem lies. Yeah. And I think part of the part of what the boys explores with this whole social media aspect is you have someone behind the scenes manipulating the memes that are going out and the stories that are being told. And mm-hmm. they do a really good job of showing how easy it is to have an audience manipulated by that stuff. And I think that's part of the reason that this season was hard for me to watch, especially in an election year. Cause I, I see thing people, people on my friends list were posting things that just weren't, that were so ridiculous. I'm like, why would you believe this? Like, that's not how that works at all. Um, and it's on both sides. It's on both yeah. sides. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, it hit well, too close to home for me. I think, I think even stepping back from, from politics, like we do this in the consumption of media too, uh, at fandom mm-hmm. as, as well. Um, I know that all three of us are really big Star Wars fans, and Star Wars has some of the meanest and the nastiest like fans as well. Like it's very divided. You have people that are just like the purest, and then you have people that are like just obsessed and like enthralled and just live in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, it and. It doesn't matter what it is with Star Wars. It can be the movies. It can be a character design on a show that's on Disney Plus. That's different from character designs they're used to. Like you can have like it's just there's always something. And even you get the fake news stuff in fandoms as as well. Like recently there's a a trailer going around for the third Tom Holland Spider-Man movie which is just spliced together clips from his movies and the amazing Spider-Man. And like people are, people think it's a real trailer for his third movie. That's which they just started filming two weeks ago. So it's like, no, that's not an actual trailer, but people buy it as because it's presented as this. I'm like, no, that's Dennis Leary from amazing Spider-Man's voiceover. That's just stock footage of New York. Like this isn't real. So, and there's, dedicated news outlets that are creating articles and fake news that they know are going to get their website traffic. And early on in doing victims, we weren't like the way that we are now. We were more news based and I had to really undergo and really learn like what were reliable sources and what weren't. And that really opened my eyes up to some of the stuff that I think a lot of people in the fandoms are still really ignorant of. Now, I I love some of the fake news that comes out because I just Mm -hmm. love to like theorize with like people like, man, like what if this is like real? Like, but when you you when you have one website in particular every day posting a story about Tobey Maguire and yeah. Coming back to the Spider-Man. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, like as much as people want this to happen, like it would be great, but until it's in the Hollywood reporter or variety, I'm not buying it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And check your sources. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like, uh, was it like 
all three of us are in the Star Wars fan base. Um, yes. And I've deep dived into the Star Trek fan base over the past like year and a half. And you've got the same thing there. You've got these guys who have anointed themselves the voice of the fandom for Star Trek. And they're constantly, constantly ragging on anything new and saying how like, you know, it's been canceled. It's got the worst viewership right now. The fandom hates this. And it's just like, uh, no, like, they say these things hoping to get people to believe it, to actually have these things happen or get somebody who makes decisions to hear them thinking that it's legit and it's everywhere and it's on everything. And that's one of the big drawbacks of this new technology that we're dealing with. So speaking of Star Trek, Carl Urban was also in Star Trek, but Carl Urban was also in Lord of the Rings with the guy who played his dad. Finally. Yes. What do you guys think of that cameo? I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so it was indifferent to me, but I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. What did you guys think of his cameo? I'm right there with you. I'm not. My wife is a huge fan, so I've seen the movies several times because of her, but I just kind of thought that it was uh, – we just went to go see him when theaters were opening back up this, this past uh, summer. We saw the extended trilogy in theaters, Ooh, nice. and – I really enjoyed getting to kind of see him because he's one of those guys that doesn't have to say anything. He just looks like a bad guy. And so I love how they, they build up the bad blood throughout the course of the season. And then finally, when you get that, get to that scene, I love the fact that it was him because he's one of the most despicable characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. Ryan, what did you think? I'm embarrassed, but who? <laughs> Again? <laughs> the guy who played Butcher's dad? Ah, uh, him. Yes. Yes. I like that. I did not catch the Lord of the Rings thing, though, but now that you mention it, I do. Okay. Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I recognized the actor. It was a cool scene. Um, that was about my thoughts on it. Okay. So, I, <laughs> so early on, Josh, you mentioned John Carlo Esposito, and mm-hmm. he's also on The Mandalorian right now as Moff Gideon, and he's on Better Call Saul as Gus from Breaking Bad and all of that. I really want. He's also on um, Harley Quinn as Lex Luthor. Yeah. Yes, he was. I really want him to go against type and just do. The silliest slapstick comedy. Like, I just, I want to see that so bad because I, he's such a great actor. I want to see him do something besides being the villain. (laughs) I would say go watch Do the Right Thing then. I've seen Do the Right Thing. But I'm saying. That kind of goes against his character type that we've seen of him as of recently. I, I, I might have to go back and revisit that. But I want to see him now do that. Like, I want to see what how the audience reacts to him now in like a Jim Carrey esque comedy. <laughs> All right, Out, oddball movie premise: him and Tom Green team up for a road trip. Tom Green today, or Tom Green in the early two thousands? Tom Green in the early two thousands. Okay. I want him and Denzel Washington to redo plane trains and automobiles. Oh, 
I'd be down for that. Or him and Kevin Hart. I I think I think that would work better. I you know, you know what? Den Washington and him doing a like a naked gun thing. No, 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 not naked gun, lethal weapon. Okay. All right. Uh, because they were, I mean, th- there was a bit of an age difference, but they were still roughly like within like the same age group, those two characters. So since we touched on Star Wars a little bit, do we want to talk about Stormfront's Darth Vader scene? Uh, Where she gets burned up to a crisp? Uh, I actually have what she says here in... Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah. Um, so at the end of this series, uh, she her character kind of gets burnt to a crisp by Ryan. And fans were asking, like, she's, she gives this German monologue, and uh, it actually translates to, it was beautiful. How the three of us sat there in the shade of an apple tree. Do you remember the day, Frederick? Chloe's arms out of the car window. We found the perfect spot by the river in the shade of an apple tree. It was the first time Chloe ate fresh apples. Was so happy. It was wonderful. And I wanted it to end. And I I, I, I wanted it to never end. End quote. Uh, Men's Health actually uh, translated this article. And I, I think I love what they say in this, um, how they talk about it really seems like Stormfront died in this moment. Uh, not in the literal moment, but who she was as an individual kind of in that moment in the under the apple trees where she died. Um, I think it brings a lot more um, depth to her character than we just what we see on the screen. Yeah, the end of that, the end of the season where you have her pretty much taken out of the game and... Um, you have store like you have um I'm blanking on names Hi- homelander like just go berserk like uh, in his cabin when his son's missing mm. like it's everyone gets to the extreme to their most extreme in that last episode you have mave and um starlight go crazy on Stormfront with uh Kamiko and like it's just the women kicking ass and that so like they're all banded together and then which is sorry to cut you off but that is fine. the most one of the most satisfying sequences in the entire season. It was much more satisfying than the the Avengers having the women come together. Like, we know we got this. Like it was much more satisfying as cool as that scene was in Endgame, It was much more satisfying here because it was like there, were, <laughs> it was real stakes and not just Peter Parker. <laughs> like I, you just brought Peter Parker back <laughs> to life. I know you're not going to kill him again. Uh, <laughs> well, then you have heroes and villains. You have two people, two sets of people from two completely different sides. Whereas Kamiko is on the side of the boys, and they believe that they're the heroes. And then you have Stormfront, and not Stormfront, um, Starlight. Starlight and Queen Maeve, who believe that they're the heroes. Well, I would, I would say Starlight's somewhere in between the two. Like she's caught in the season, middle. Yeah, yeah. So like, 
Yeah. So you have the three of them joining forces. Like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So like, since they're all against Stormfront, they're all like, that's, that's, uh, let's take her out. You could even argue that Maeve is kind of also on that because there's a sequence in the third or fourth episode where her and Homelander are giving an interview and they're talking about the lack of diversity within the seven. And he basically outs her in front of national, uh, national television. And she basically is like wanting out of the seven. So she plans like her arc is like revolved around finding a way to get out from underneath of Homelander. Yeah. And, blackmailing him in the process to get out from underneath his grip. And I found it really interesting how the corporate structure of Vought twists that and makes it like just manipulates her in a different way from the the way he is like making her become this symbol of the LGBTQ community and making like just branding her as that for their for their own reasons while she's putting up this fight with Homelander. Yeah. Cause she had a, uh, what pride lasagna. Like she had like her <laughs> own like food line. I was like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, it's, to me, it, it was a, uh, it was a perfect show of again, what actually happens. And I mean, it's great that things have changed. It's great that things have changed where companies can advertise the way that they do now uh, compared to how, and this is the only example I really know of, of how like Subaru had to like hide messages in their advertising when they were trying to advertise to the gay community because they found out that, you know, most of them were buying their vehicles in the nineties. So they were doing things as in, in their advertising to kind of like hint at that audience. And it's amazing how things have changed from then to now where Major League Baseball, NHL, they can put up, you know, gay pride logos on their Facebook pages and on their corporate pages. And, you know, they're not caring about the fallout from it, but it's still they're still showing how like corrupt corruption, how corporations can corrupt a positive message mainly because they're trying to make money off of it because they really don't care. Yeah. And it's just, I, that's where, again, Alan, to your point, like things are in this season, we're getting a bit too real and it's just, they were doing a lot of stuff where it was like, yeah, that's, that's something that I saw yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. So real quick, we need to talk about the ending of this season because you had, like, we talked about how the final episode just escalates for everyone to the point where Storm F- or Homelander just breaks. Like, he's just like balls to the walls. I can do whatever I want to the point where he's standing on top of a building with his pants down, just jerking it. Um, where do you see his character going in season three? Hopefully having pants that's all i want (laughs) okay gotta be one of the most disturbing things i've seen this year was that scene uh and that's including some of his doppelganger scenes in this move in this season oh yeah we completely missed on that that wasn't intentional (laughs) (laughs) ryan what where do you see homelander going 
I honestly don't know. I, I think having a character like him think that he's untouchable because he's already thought that. But now that he is saying out loud, I can do whatever I want. I think it's going to be. If we thought he was bad in these first two seasons, he's just going to be even worse going forward. So who knows where where that bar is, but it's. I And that's where and that's it's other aspects of where they're leading the show is to what is to why I'm stumped on what they're going to do with Homelander going forward. Yeah, because it all ties into my rant from before about the senator or the congresswoman, whatever. (laughs) I'm interested to see what they're going to do, because out of everyone in this series, he season, he his in particular kind of feels the most open ended. I'm almost kind of curious if like he goes into like hibernation or something like that or just gives in and just becomes like a legitimate murderer in front of people just like stops caring like that fantasy becomes reality yeah throughout the entire course of this third season in the words of michael keaton you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts uh (laughs) any other final thoughts on the boy season two before we wrap this up yes i want to talk and, and see if you guys caught the uh foreshadowing that this season does very subtly in the fourth episode the starlight huey and mother's milk go down to north carolina to meet a former abuse victim of liberty and uh one of the things that they drive past is actually a barn that has a mural painted on it where it's Homelander, but instead of uh, his flags in the wind, instead of it being the uh, American flag like what we see throughout the series, it's actually the Confederate flag. And I thought that was a very nice foreshadowing to kind of where this season was going to go with him and Stormfront and the Nazis and stuff along those lines. I vaguely remember that, and it, it, it just kind of fit for the – times like when this season was airing we were in the middle of the whole tearing down the statues thing again and yeah like that that's part of the, part of i think that was part of what made it feel too real for me yeah uh, for me it just grounded it even more because i mean i with my job i drive a lot and i live in more of a rural part of pennsylvania and i go through a lot of smaller towns and i see stuff like that and i'm still confused whether or not one of the towns i drive through is actually called officially god's country or if it's like a nickname that the locals use for their community but there are barns down here that have stuff like that painted on it granted it's not a superhero with a confederate flag but it's stuff that's in the same category and I mentioned the name because that's painted on a lot of barns down here <laughs> on a or up here, wherever you are in the state listening <laughs> on a lighter note. One of my favorite moments of this whole season was when they're filming their, their seven movie. Uh, they mentioned the Joss rewrites <laughs> and how it completely changed the story. It's like, ah, oh, good. Uh, so, like a superhero thing, making fun of Joss Whedon's justice league. And that was right in the middle of the Snyder cuts actually coming. So that, that that made me happy. 
I love that too. We're going to end on a lighter note. Uh, I think one of the most wholesome scenes throughout the course of that is in season is in the fourth episode where you see the tension that's kind of building in the car between the three of them. Yeah. And so Annie's like, can I put some music on? And they end up doing this like sing along between, uh, to Billy Joel's. We didn't start the fire. Mm-hmm. It has got to be one of the most wholesome moments throughout the course of this. There was much more Billy Joel this season than there was in season one. And I enjoyed it. What are your, what's your guys's take on Billy Joel? I'm for it. I'm here for it. Brian. I'm good with it. It's Billy Joel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like, I was so afraid in that scene. Like, I was expecting something to fall out of the sky, the car to explode. But just because of, like, the feel of the show, like, they were way too happy. And I was just, my anxiety was going through the roof because they were singing We Didn't Start the Fire. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, Homelander's going to fall out of the sky. Stormfront's going to flip the car over. Something bad's going to happen. Mother Milk's going to die. Something's going to happen after this scene because this is way too wholesome to be in this show. And just nothing happened. Like, it, it was like being in a horror movie and, like, this scene fits all the stereotypes. Somebody's going to die and just waiting for it to happen and it doesn't. Yeah. Well, it's like that, that sing-along scene from The Conjuring 2 where it's just like in the midst of like all of this apocalyptic stuff that's occurring, just having a really wholesome time. Mm-hmm. So. All right. I think that about does it for season two of The Boys. Uh, Josh, you want to tell Yo. our audience a little bit about Victims and Villains and what you guys are doing over there? Sure. So Alan is one of our writers and uh, we are a nonprofit, a podcast and entertainment website that basically educates and engages readers, listeners and viewers through pop culture to uh, we educate and engage um, on mental health awareness and suicide prevention. So if you go to victimsandvillains.net, not only will you find links to all of our social media, uh, movie reviews, TV reviews, you also find uh, suicide prevention uh, resources, which is the main reason why we create the content we do. All right. And and where, where are your guys' socials? Where can people find you? So we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, and Letterboxd. Uh, just search victims and villains. Pretty much all of them are just victims and villains one word with the exception of Twitter and, and letterboxed. All right. You just got to search. And um, you can, you have any thoughts on today's episode, you can email us at you have to watch this podcast at gmail.com. You can listen to us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Podbean, Audible, Amazon Music, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at You Have to Watch This Podcast. And until next time, where hopefully Devin rejoins us, uh, for You Have to Watch This Podcast, I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And thanks again to Josh for joining us. Until next time, we'll see you later. Take it, Billy Joel. (laughs) 